You may be seated. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Romans chapter 8. I'll be reading verses 35 through 39. Hear the word of the Lord. Who will separate us from Christ's love? Will we be separated by trouble or distress or harassment or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, we are being put to death all day long for your sake. We are treated like sheep for slaughter. But in all these things, we win a sweeping victory through the one who loved us. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or height or depth, or any other thing that is created. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. This morning, I wanted to begin with a question. As you look into the new year ahead, are you looking into an atmosphere of condemnation, desperation, resignation, or separation? Or are you looking forward to an atmosphere of expectation. Now that question should resonate with everyone in here because we are, all of us, either on one side or the other. We are either a believer in a great and mighty God who can do great and mighty things in our lives. We're a believer in the hope for our future, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, or we are not. There is no gray area. There is no middle ground. I submit to you the two camps in which we can abide are hope in Christ for the future or hopelessness. And what is hopelessness? Hopelessness is the absence of Christ. Hopelessness is the absence of Christ in our lives. If I were to paint a word picture of what hopelessness sounds like, it might sound like this. Darkest rain consumes the breath of countless souls condemned to death, of hopeless, brooding, falling skies, which dimly light the vanquished eyes of the lost, the judged, the damned. Christ's mercy gone, and with it rest beyond the chasm wide in breadth, so far from God's eternal light, absorbed by endless lifeless night, put away, used up, wasted. But rest won't come and grace this night for those who long to embrace the light once more. If it would only be so kind as to quell this chaos of the mind that devours, deceives, destroys. That, friends, is a picture of hopelessness. Is that the new year 
that you are in for because you are holding on to, mired so deeply in the burdens of your past? If so, I can tell you, friends, that I understand. Because that poem of hopelessness that I just read was written by me about me when I was in a place in my life where that kind of hopelessness was the atmosphere that I breathed. I've spent many hours reflecting on that time in my life, not to dwell in it or wallow in it, but to learn from it, to see what it has to teach me, to see how the hand of God has moved me from times of hardship, times of struggle, to the peace and the calm that I enjoy now. Reflection in my experience is an act of appreciation for God in my life. And when I think about it, I I sometimes identify my life with a passage of Scripture that speaks as a theme for my life. And one such passage is the one that Pastor Beth read this morning from Romans 8, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, we are for your sake being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things... We overwhelmingly conquer. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Before I tell you about my experience, I want to throw out for your consideration a crazy premise. What if the stuff we have experienced in our past and the stuff that enters our experience in the coming year is all part of God's plan for our lives? Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that God causes bad things to happen in our lives, so please don't hear that. But what if, in this broken, fallen world in which we live, what if for God's glory and our highest good, our best interest, all the trials and the tribulations of our lives God allows and uses to make us grow into the best possible people we can be? What if all the stuff is able to be used by a great and mighty God, a God of grace and mercy, a God who loves you, what if all that stuff is applied to sanctify you, to grow you into a more Christ-like person and not to harm you? What if in his infinite wisdom and mercy, God equipped each of us with just what we needed to handle the obstacles and circumstances in our lives and gave us the opportunity and ability to grow into mature followers of Christ, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? When I was a younger man, my brother Michael and I were very close. 
One day in late November, just after Thanksgiving, we were throwing a baseball in my mom and dad's yard, not too far from here, in Cyprus. It was this very baseball, as a matter of fact, and I still have it, something I cherish. My dad was barbecuing. When I smell barbecue smoking on a pit, I still remember uh, that time. My brother and his fiance decided they wanted to drive out and see the new house that my mom and dad were building in Magnolia, and they were in the process of, of purchasing. And they asked me if I wanted to go, and I said no, and to this day I don't recall exactly why I said no. So they jumped in his car, and they drove away, and as I watched the car disappear around the corner, I had no idea that it would be the last time that I saw Michael. Somewhere along FM 2920, a drunk driver ran a stop sign, plowed into the side of his car. He died a few hours later after being life-lighted to Ben Taub. He was here one minute, and he was gone the next And I was so angry at God, at myself for not having gone with him. I was so filled with anger that I forgot everything that was important to me. Nothing mattered but my anger and my unforgiveness for the individual that killed him, for myself for having sidestepped the tragedy that took my brother. I mentally and emotionally checked out of life in the aftermath of that event. I ran as fast as I possibly could in the opposite direction from the face of God. Eventually, broken, tired of running, I ended up back in Houston in front of a Marine Corps recruiting station of all places. I remember the poster in the window that read, we're looking for a good few good men, and I was under no illusions that I was a good man, but I thought maybe they would take me anyway. I went in, and I told the sergeant behind the desk to sign me up, and I remember the surprised look on his face because it was probably the first time in his military career that he'd ever recruited anyone without having to work at it. I am convinced that the divine, merciful, loving hand of God caused me to stop into that recruiting station that day. And as I look back at it, I can see God's prevenient grace all over my life in that season. Later, during the Gulf War, I was assigned as a forward observer to Task Force Papa Bear. It's a very cool name. My job was to move ahead of the task force with a small advance party and engage the enemy with artillery and close air support. At night, we would cross from Kuwait into Iraq and conduct artillery raids on targets of opportunity. During one such raid, the Iraqi Republican Guard counterattacked, and for a short time, as we waited for the rest of the task force to move forward, my advance party was engaged with enemy tanks, artillery, rockets, foot soldiers. 
I'll spare you the details, but so many times in that brief war, I was spared while some under my charge were not, and I could not help but wonder why. Why did God continue to deliver me? I was certainly no saint. I was so short of the glory of God, it was ridiculous. And now I had blood on my hands. After the war, I was deployed directly from Kuwait to Okinawa, and I had been away from home for more than a year now, and that time away took a toll on my marriage. I'm not proud of it, but I allowed my unforgiveness to take control of my life, and my combat experience simply served to pile on even more opportunity, more circumstances for me not to forgive others or forgive myself. My unforgiveness devastated not only my marriage, but life as I knew it. I want to pause here for just a moment to tell you about unforgiveness. We like to hang on to our unforgiveness like a security blanket. It comforts us in our anger. It gives our emptiness meaning. It focuses our attention on something other than dealing with the real issue. And what is the real issue? The real issue is our hardness of heart, the shell We build around our hearts that keeps the unforgiveness in and prevents the love of Christ from penetrating. See, I had survived combat, but I realized one day, standing on a ledge in Okinawa overlooking the South China Sea, with my unforgiveness and the onset of PTSD pressing down on me that if I didn't get help from somewhere, my unforgiveness would kill me. The relationship I had with unforgiveness was so important to me that it superseded all other relationships. Unforgiveness and I did everything together. We woke up together, spent every hour of the day together, took all of our meals together. It was a serious, monogamous relationship. Unforgiveness was a jealous partner. Unforgiveness was especially jealous of joy, probably because unforgiveness knew that joy and I used to have a relationship. And I remembered that joy was beautiful and fun to be with. Unforgiveness hated joy. So seeking help, I went to the battalion chaplain, who just happened to be a Catholic priest. And because of his past life experience, which was similar to my own, we became friends. And one day after work, I was sitting in his office, and I began to rant about how my life was devoid of passion. How I had made so many mistakes, how my brother had died so senselessly how I should have been with him in that hour, how my marriage had failed, or probably more accurately, how I had failed my marriage. How I had lost good men in combat, how I had blood on my hands and no longer deserved God's love and mercy and grace. But then something truly wondrous happened. My friend, the priest, this man of God, grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, 
be still. I was stunned, but I was still. Then he took the Bible from the coffee table and he put it in my hands and he said, this is passion. This is life, full of hope, full of God's love and all you have to do is ask for it. I could feel what I know now to be the Holy Spirit descend into that place. And he asked me if I had ever asked Christ into my life, and I admitted I had never said those words. So we prayed them together, him leading, I following. And as I tell you what those words were, because I won't ever forget them, I invite you. If you have never invited Christ into your life, to pray them too, right here, right now, because just as the chaplain and I were then, so you and I are now. We won't ever be in this moment again. So we prayed, Lord Jesus, I am weak in my sin. I have not lived my life according to your will. I am lost I am broken, but I believe that you came into the world and took my sin upon yourself. I believe that you went to the cross as payment for my sins and the sins of all people everywhere. I believe you died and went to the grave and then rose again, conquering death, and in so doing, provided the way of reconciliation and redemption for me to my Father in heaven. I ask you to be my Savior and Lord of my life from this moment forward. And I claim the inheritance of eternal life with you. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. If you prayed those words for the first time with an honest and contrite heart, I encourage you to get with one of these, your pastors afterward and explore the next steps in your faith journey. In that moment, I experienced a Genesis moment. You know, the first verses of Genesis are such a powerful passage of Scripture, and contained in them is something far more powerful than just the formation of a planet. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. I had experienced a Genesis moment, and as a result of that experience, I was a new creation. The old things had passed away. You know, each of us, when we accept Jesus as Savior, experience a genesis. We are transformed. But what's more, God's plan for your life, including each and every day in the new year ahead, is an opportunity for a genesis experience. The Bible says his mercy and grace are new every morning. If you are dealing with stuff from your past, allow the God of creation, the God of redemption, to bring about a genesis in your life. Because you see, in the beginning, 
before we know Christ. We are formless and void. Darkness covers us as we are in deep below the surface of our sin. But the Holy Spirit of God moves over the surface of the deep where we are treading like mad to stay afloat. And just as we are going under for the last time as our heads are hopelessly covered by the dark, deep water of our sin, we reach up our hands and we cry out, Abba, Father. And that's when it happens. God says, let there be light. And there is light. God sees that the light is good. And God separates the light from the darkness. The Holy Spirit reaches down into the dark, deep water, grabs us by the hand and by the heart, and points us to the light. The Spirit shows us the light, and the light is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life as we accept Christ. We too become light. We are the light of the world. And God sees us. And when he does, he sees that we are now good. We are now through the light of Christ, acceptable to the Father. When we decide to follow Jesus, we no longer walk in darkness, but have the light of eternal light within us. We are separated once and for all from the darkness of our former hopeless existence. So I encourage you to allow that genesis to happen for you this year. Let the Holy Spirit take you by the shoulders and say, Be still and know that He is God. My life and all the events in it have served to bring me into a closer relationship with Jesus. Everything that we experience leads us to the place in our life's timeline where it intersects with the mercy and grace of God. God knows exactly what he is doing. He is in complete control. He is not reacting to our actions and going to plan B every time we mess up. He is not sitting around in heaven second-guessing himself. God is a God of second chances not a God of second guesses. God's plan for our lives has been in motion since before time. And don't misunderstand me and think that the Genesis experience means that your life will be roses and sunshine because as human beings, we will experience hardship. We will struggle. We will fall short. Salvation, justification doesn't mean instant perfection in our lives. The process of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, is just that, a process, a process that is different for each one of us. So when I look back at our passage in Romans 8, I find that it is readily made even more personal to wherever I find myself, to wherever it is you find Yourself. For I am convinced that neither death, nor car wrecks, nor war, nor bloody hands, nor losing my brother, nor a failed marriage, nor things present, nor things to come, 
will ever be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What stuff are you carrying with you into the new year? I invite you to take those things and put them into the context of Romans 8. If you look in your bulletins, you'll notice a lavender piece of paper with the scripture verse, I am convinced that neither blank nor blank can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I ask you to take those small slips of paper in your bulletins and fill in the blanks with whatever is burdening you. As you come up for communion later, drop that slip of paper in one of the baskets the same baskets you put in your communion cups. You are, after all, getting rid of these. Don't carry the burden into the new year when you have a great big God who is willing and more than capable of shouldering the burden for you. Don't let the accuser continue to badger you about your past when you have been forgiven by a God who loves you. Do you not know that the reason Satan keeps bringing up your past is because, as a redeemed follower of Christ, he has no new material with which to accuse you? Let it go. That's not a Disney reference. Let it go. God has. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God forgives, who are you to hold on to it for even one more moment? So you've been forgiven. You've forgiven others. What will you do with your newfound freedom, your Genesis life, without the burdens of your past to hold you down? There are so many opportunities out there to give back to pay it forward, to show gratitude and thanksgiving, to fulfill our obligation as the body of Christ. The missions and outreach team here at Strawbridge can help you make decisions about where you might fit in that regard. The point is you can pay it forward by getting involved in the opportunities around you. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. So one final thought as we look into the new year. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet finds himself set into a valley of dry bones. As far as he can see, nothing but dry bones across the landscape. And the Lord comes to him and says, Mortal, can these bones live? Ezekiel answers, saying, Oh, Lord God, you know. I love Ezekiel's response in that moment because it gives all of it up to God. It acknowledges God as the one in absolute control. Like Ezekiel, we can sometimes find ourselves standing amidst a valley of dry bones. The issues of our past trespasses and defeats our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual brokenness scattered all around us on the valley floor. But we serve a great and mighty God. A God bigger than our past. A God bigger than any of our obstacles. 
A God who levels mountains and raises up valleys, making rough places plain, smoothing out and preparing the way for us, breathing life into us and into our circumstances. And so, like Ezekiel, we must be still. Wait. Listen to the Lord for his wisdom and direction. And when he comes to us and asks us, mortal, can these bones live? Can we overcome? Can we move past our issues? Can we forgive and be forgiven? Can we let go of our past and move forward into our hope in Christ? We can then say, through the faith and confidence we have in our great God, which we have been given by the Holy Spirit as we bow our knees in reverent submission to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, giving God all the honor and the glory, we can then say to Him, O Lord God, You know. Amen.